In today's talk, the third lecture of this course, I'd like to speak on the topic of what anapanasati is, anapanasati or mindfulness of breathing is something that I would like to discuss here. There are many methods or techniques of vipassana and mindfulness of breathing is one of them. But more than that, mindfulness of breathing is a technique which the Buddha himself practiced and advised for others to follow. Nowadays, there are a number of meditation systems or techniques named after this teacher or that teacher. So-and-so's vipassana, his or her vipassana, Burmese vipassana, Sri Lankan vipassana, or what have you. Here at Suan Mok, we use the Buddha's vipassana or mindfulness of breathing. Don't say that this is Suan Mok's vipassana, is all we're doing here is following what the Buddha taught. This is something that we consider most appropriate and it works very well. And therefore, we're happy to do our best to help you to understand what anapanasati is. It's not Suan Mok's form of vipassana. It's merely the Buddha's form of vipassana and Suan Mok is just helping to make it known. The meaning of the word anapanasati is often not completely understood, not understood in its fullest sense. Very often we hear it merely called mindfulness on breathing or mindfulness of breathing. But this, though it's a handy translation, does not express the full meaning of anapanasati. A better and more complete definition is to study some natural truth with every stroke of the breathing, to note, to study, to investigate a certain truth of nature while breathing in and breathing out. This is a more full and complete explanation of what anapanasati is. If you understand this, you'll see that the various natural truths which can be examined can change. We can study a number of them successively following a natural development in evolution. But what is, what is common and basic to the entire practice is that this occurs while being aware, being mindful of the breath, the breathing in and out. So anapanasati is to examine a natural truth with every stroke of, of the breathing. 
For example, one could think of one's mother or home while breathing in and out. That could be called anapanasati just as well. The thing is that thinking about your mother or home is not really the study of an important natural truth. And so this isn't one of the more useful forms of anapanasati. But it would still be called anapanasati just the same because some something is focused upon, noted, direct where sati directs attention to something while breathing in and breathing out. And so we could still call that anapanasati. There are many other kinds of incomplete or overly simplified methods of practicing anapanasati. There are quite a few of them, and we're not particularly interested at them. But there is one method of practice which the Buddha taught which is complete. Some people, and this is the method that is complete, and is composed of 16 steps. There are some people who complain that this is too much. It's too much for them to handle. They can't quite understand it. It takes too long. It's too complicated or something like that. And this may be true for some people that this complete practice of 16 steps is more than they're up to. But for who, anyone who is genuinely interested in a comprehensive and complete understanding of Dhamma, of nature, these 16 steps are not too much, they're not excessive or very complex. In fact, they're just right. The 16 steps is complete, it covers everything that needs to be covered without anything extra. And so therefore, it is very complete and appropriate for anyone who desires a full understanding of Dhamma. It may take a little time and effort to study this technique and then to practice it. But nonetheless, if one does that correctly, then one will have a very full understanding of Dhamma. And so we will take the time and put in the necessary effort in order to understand anapanasati in the complete method of practice. Before we go into this, the method of practicing anapanasati, we'd like to discuss an all too common misunderstanding. There are many people who hold very much to what is called the Satipatthana, Satipatthana, or the foundations of Sati, the foundations of mindfulness. These are the body, the feelings, the mind, and Dhamma, or truth. There are these four foundations 
on which mindfulness must be established, and then each of these foundations is to be contemplated. Especially in Burma and Sri Lanka, a great deal of importance is given to this, the Satipatthana, in a way that overlooks certain very important points. It's not quite understood fully. In going a bit overboard in their excitement about the Satipatthana, they go so far as to claim that anapanasati, or mindfulness of breathing in and out, has nothing to do with these four foundations of mindfulness, and that anapanasati is wrong, that it is an incorrect form of practice, and that their way of practice is correct. This shows that there is not a very full understanding of either anapanasati or the four foundations of mindfulness. What seems to happen is that too much emphasis is given to a certain discourse supposedly given by the Buddha that is recorded in the Iga Nikaya or the long, long collection of discourses. There is one sutta or discourse there called the, the Great Satipatthana Sutta. This is often taken as the basis of practice. However, if we examine this discourse, it is merely a catalog of various things or dhammas which ought to be studied or which might be studied. It's, it's merely a list or catalog. It doesn't really say anything about how to practice. It is not a method or system of practice, but just a long list of things very long, containing many things which we don't absolutely have to be concerned with. And by giving so much importance to this list of things and saying this is what the four foundations of mindfulness are about and this is what meditation is about, they don't even notice that mindfulness of breathing or anapanasati is in fact the heart of these four foundations of mindfulness. Because in mindfulness of breathing, these four foundations are all perfected through the complete practice of anapanasati. And so this is why we, we use mindfulness of breathing, because it completes these four foundations in a very effective, efficient, and systematic way, where no time is wasted on superfluous things. We need to take some time to clear up this misunderstanding about the four foundations of mindfulness and mindfulness of breathing, so that we will be interested in the correct form of practice. Whether we talk about or whether we call meditation anapanasati or 
panasati meditation or sati vatana meditation. Whatever we call it, if it is correct, it will cover four main topics. It will cover four things, which are body, feelings or vetana, mind or mind state, and then kama, dhamma, natural truth. These are the four bases that must be covered by any correct meditation. Now, if we look to that, that sutta called the Foundations of Mindfulness Discourse, we find nothing but this very long list of different names. There's these names such as for meditation on the body. There can be contemplation of corpses, contemplation of parts of the body, contemplation of different body postures, and so forth. There's a whole list of things there, but it really doesn't tell you how to do it or what to do with them. It's a nice list, but it is not a system of practice. However, if we examine the discourse on mindfulness of breathing from the middle length saying, the Gaya, we find that not only is there a list of things which need to be studied, but it is not a very long list. It's sufficient, but it's not this long catalog of things. Even more important, there is a definite and clear progression from one step to the next. They're not just thrown in and together in a big mess, but there is linkage from one developing into the next, into the next, into the next which provides a clear system of practice. And in that system of practice, the four foundations of mindfulness are complete. They're all covered, they're all practiced fully and perfected. So please be aware of this important difference so that one's practice is complete and we'll examine all the these four things, body, feelings, mind, and dhamma, which need to be studied. If you're intimidated by the number 16, if it seems too much or too complicated for you, then at least for the time being, it's possible to condense it down to two steps. If that is will be more comfortable and easy for you to understand. If, if we want, we can summarize the 16 steps as merely two steps. The first step is by developing sufficient samadhi, by concentrating the mind to an adequate level. And then with that samadhi, jumping to the vipassana, aspect of meditation and examining all the various things that are experienced in the mind, examining all these things as impermanent, unsatisfactory, and not self or egoless. If this is more in line with your 
what you're interested in at this time, then it can be quite useful and will bring benefits and results appropriate to your intention, motivation, and hope. And if it is practiced fully and diligently, it will lead to the, the goals of practice that all meditators are aiming for, which is the letting go, the releasing of attachment. And through even practicing these two steps, this two-step summary, one can realize the letting go of different phenomena so that the mind is less and less attached. And this process can carry on until there is no attachment or suffering remaining whatsoever. However, our method of explanation here is to explain the full 16 steps so that you will have a complete understanding of that approach to meditation practice. The full 16 steps is not lacking in anything. And so we would like to explain it to you. Then later, if you would like to condense it a bit according to your own needs and wishes, then you can do that. But we'd like you to begin with a proper understanding of the complete practice. So in the two-step approach, the mind develops sufficient samadhi on using the breathing and then examines different phenomena as impermanent, unsatisfactory, and not-self while breathing in and out. But in the full 16-step method, we take a very scientific approach to the study of nature. There are four essential aspects of nature or topics that need to be studied. These are the body, feelings, avetana, mind, sita, and dhamma. These, through the practice of anapanasati, will be examined and contemplated in the best possible way so that a complete and full understanding of them is developed. In this way, through understanding these four bases of nature, we have a very comprehensive understanding of nature and life. This approach is very scientific. It's based on experimentation and direct experience, and it also doesn't waste any time. And so after we explain all 16 steps, if you'd like to condense it down to five steps, four steps, or three steps, that's up to you. But to do so properly, you need to understand these 16 steps first. In, <clears throat> in these 16 steps, they can be grouped into four groups, each group having four steps. The first group is the body. The second are vetana, feelings. Third, mind, sita. And fourth, dhamma. These are the four groups, each one made up of four steps. In the first group, concerned with body, 
we examine the breathing. The breathing is a very important aspect of the body which we need to understand. And so we study the breathing until we have a correct understanding of various necessary things related to the breath. Basically, we need to know the characteristic or nature of the breath, the characteristics or natures of the breath, and the influence that these various kinds of breath have upon the body. So we need to know the characteristics and the influence of the different kinds of breathing, which are long breathing and short breathing, coarse breathing and fine breathing, agitated or restless breathing, and calm, peaceful breathing. These are various kinds of breathing that need to be examined. So we see their characteristics and the influence that each kind of breath has. This knowledge must be correct. This means that we understand them properly, not with any misconceptions or delusions. And this depends on direct experience of these things, not thinking about them. We can summarize what takes place in this with using the breath in this way as developing correct prana. Prana is a Sanskrit word. The Pali word is pana. Prana means either life or that which sustains life. Prana. And if this first group of steps is practiced correctly and sufficiently, then the prana will be correct. And then our life will be correct through understanding the breath. The breath is that which sustains life. And so prana can essentially mean the breathing. And by learning what correct breathing is, as we have explained, then prana will be correct. This is the first group of steps, those which are concerned with the body. In India, in all the very many different yogic systems, each one gives a great deal of attention to the prana. And there you can find in all the different systems some form of pranayama, which is control of the prana. In various the various systems, the prana is we one the yogi learns how to control the prana so that life is very fresh, very alive, and very healthy. Now, when the prana comes in, this is called ana. When prana goes out, that is called apana. Put them together and we have anapana, the prana coming in and out. 
The controlling of this is pranayama. In anapanasati, the various systems of pranayama have been sort of summarized, or the best of each is taken, and so that we have a very exquisite form of pranayama, of controlling the breathing, not in any forceful way, but through a very natural development of knowledge and understanding of it. So in this way, the prana is brought under control, this thing which sustains and nurtures life, which supports life, is, is made balanced and very much under control. And in this way, life is very healthy, fresh, alive. The sort of life that is appropriate for spiritual practice, the kind of life which is capable and able to do the various spiritual practices which are necessary. This occurs in the first group of steps of anapanasati. This is, this is the, a very exquisite form of pranayama. You can't find a better form of pranayama anywhere. This makes up the first group of steps which are called gayanu patsana or contemplation of the body. Prana is something absolutely necessary. If there's no prana, there's no life. If we lose the prana, then life ends. And so for this reason, sometimes prana just means life, or at least the physical side of life. Or else prana can be that which sustains and supports life. Either way, the prana is very important and very necessary. Now, if we study the, the prana, we can notice two kinds, two things. We, one we would call the prana body or the breath body. And then there is the flesh body. The flesh body is the muscles, blood, bones, and all this part of the body. And then there is the breath body. It's not like this little man walking around or anything shaped like the human body, but it's just what we, we can call the breathing, the prana body. These two are interrelated and interdependent. And if we study them, we will see that the prana body conditions the flesh, physical body. That the influence of the breathing has a variety of effects upon the rest of the body. If the breathing is calmed, then the flesh body also calms. And so by calming the breath in the best way possible, then the, the flesh body is also calmed in the best way possible. Now what we mean here by best is that it is in, it, it achieves a, a state that is, or condition that is most appropriate 
for the work that needs to be done. So in meditation, we develop this calmness to the best and most appropriate form for the meditation work that we are doing. This is this what can be done by understanding the influence of the body conditioner or the breathing, that which conditions, influences, and brings about change in the body. If we understand that in how it does that conditioning, that influencing of the body, then both of them can be calmed down to achieve both of them can be calmed down to bring the breathing body, the prana body, and the flesh body to that very good state in which it is able to do the work that needs to be done. All over India, they have been teaching this subject of pranayama or control of the breathing. This is considered a very high, important, and necessary subject of study. The different centers have taught it in different ways according to their own understanding and practice. But in essence, it comes down to being able to control the breathing and thereby master the body through doing so. In understanding the relationship between the prana body and the flesh body, this becomes possible. By studying this more and more in sufficient detail and understanding the truth of this through experience rather than mere intellectual theory, then it becomes possible to influence the conditioning of the body. We say that the breathing or the prana is the conditioner, the thing that conditions, which influences, which brings about change, which causes change in the body. So the, another name for the breath or prana is the body conditioner. The Pali word for this is gaya sankara. Sankara means to condition or the thing that condition. So the, the breathing is the thing that conditions the body. Now, it's not possible to directly control the body in the way we need to master it at this point. What we need is to get the body, to have the body in a very, very calm, relaxed state. This is the condition necessary for further development in meditation. Now this cannot be brought about directly, but this condition or state of the body, very calmed, relaxed state, can be reached indirectly by using the prana. By calming the breathing, the body, the flesh body, is in turn calmed. And then this achieves what we need to achieve. It's not controlling the body directly. And it's not a kind of control that is forced 
or that can occur without proper understanding. But with patient practice and learning, it becomes possible to calm the breathing in order to calm the body. This is a very exalted form of pranayama. Now we can bring this all together in saying that what we've said so far is has to do with the body. The prana body and the flesh body are all aspects of the body, this physical side of life. And by studying this body in the two aspects of the prana body and the flesh body and their interrelationship, it is possible to bring the body into the state necessary for the mind to become concentrated. Unless the body is very relaxed and peaceful, the mind will not concentrate. So to achieve samadhi, we need to use the breathing to calm down the flesh body. This is done as the, in the way we have described. And when the body has been adequately relaxed and quieted, then the mind will be ready to continue with the business of vipassana meditation. Both the body and the mind are brought into the, the best possible state and condition for continuing with the vipassana practice. This is the highest form of pranayama in Buddhism. And we can summarize it all as saying, Kayanu Patsana, the contemplation of the body, which makes up the first group of steps of Anapanasati. To repeat once again, the essence of this first group of steps is to prepare the body and mind for further practice. This, this step of contemplation of the body is for the purpose of preparing the body and mind for further development in meditation. The second group of steps are based upon the Vedana, which we usually translate feelings. What we need to do now, after the first group, is to understand the Vedana, feelings, as the evil and dangerous demons that they really are. We're not quite sure how to describe them, but if we use the words evil, wicked, and dangerous demons, then you'll begin to see the aspect that they need to be seen in. What we mean by calling them evil demons is that they have a very powerful control over us and our lives. So powerful that we might say that we are all slaves to the Vedana. The entire world is enslaved to the Vedana. This may sound crazy to you, but if you examine the matter carefully, you'll see that it's true. All the various things 
that creatures are doing in this world are being done because of the Vedana. All the very many crises that we encounter in our lives are caused by the Vedana. Find any problem in your life and you'll see Vedana somewhere in the roots of that problem. For example, all the searching and working you do in order to get money and possessions is merely to bring yourself happiness. Happiness is one kind of Vedana. We usually call it pleasant feeling. Pleasant, agreeable feeling. Happiness, joy, bliss, ecstasy, rapture, these kind of feelings. Think of all the work and sweat, toil and trouble you go to, you go through in order to get some of these pleasant and agreeable feelings. Or all the trouble you do to avoid the other kind of feeling, unpleasant, disagreeable feeling, pain and all that. And then there is all the confusion caused in our lives by uncertain feeling. We have pleasant feelings, unpleasant feelings, and there is a feeling that is uncertain whether to be pleased or displeased. These kind of feelings have incredible power over our lives. If you start to watch how the mind works and how you behave, you'll see that all your behaviors are motivated by these feelings. These feelings concoct or brew up into craving and desire, which further leads to the various activities of body, speech, and mind. Until we understand these evil, dangerous demons, we are their slave. Pleasant, unpleasant, and uncertain feelings will be controlling us and leading us around by our noses. Only by getting to the bottom of them and understanding them in meditation can we get from out from under this powerful mastery which the feelings, the Vedana, have over our minds. If, and in this way, the world and all these modern wonders that are now being designed to bring us pleasant feelings, and free us from unpleasant feelings. By understanding this, we can also free the world from this slavery to the Vedana. You've all come from around the world to Thailand in search of pleasant feelings. You came to Suan Mok looking for pleasant feelings of one sort of another looking for some methods or tools in which to acquire pleasant feelings. We're all slaves to these feelings, most of all to pleasant, agreeable feelings. In order to get control over the feelings rather than be enslaved to them, we will study the second group of steps of anapanasati, that group of steps which is concerned with vedana, the feelings. In Pali, the vedana are also called the 
mind conditioner. The same way the breath conditions, influence, and affects the body, the feelings do the same thing to the mind. Specifically, what we mean is that the feelings give rise to certain kinds of thought and behavior, mental behavior, according to the meaning and influence of those feelings. Pleasant feelings, unpleasant feelings will condition certain kinds of thinking, desires, cravings, and attachments in the mind. This is a very powerful process and we're all enslaved to it. We don't have any control over it because we don't yet know how it works. We've fallen into the, under the power of these feelings and so they condition the mind to think in this way or that way. All the kind of thoughts going through your mind are happening because of the power of the Vedana. And if you'd like to get some control over that thinking, it's necessary to understand and master the Vedana. Now, there are all kinds of different levels and variations on the three basic Vedana. If we take the highest, most sublime type of Vedana and study that and get out from under its power so that we have some control over it, then none of the other Vedana will be any problem. So we, if we can work with the highest kind of Vedana, we can get control over all the Vedana. And so in Anapanasati, in this second group of steps, we take the very, very blissful and pleasant feelings that arise with samadhi, with very deep concentration. And we learn to get out from under their power so that these very pleasant feelings no longer have their, the ability to condition the mind in this way or that. In this way, the mind becomes free of not only these very sublime feelings, but all other kinds of feeling as well. So in the second group of steps of mindfulness of breathing, we use the very, very happy and pleasant feelings that come out of deep concentration in order to get control over all the feelings. If you look, you'll see that the highest form of happy feeling is that which arises from deep concentration. Their happy feelings come from many different things. These pleasant feelings arise with sex, with various sensual pleasures, eating, um, living a luxurious life. But these various kinds of happiness cannot compare with the very sublime joy that arises when the mind is in deep concentration. Even in the, when the mind is just beginning to get concentrated, we still begin to experience a taste of this very sublime happiness. This is the highest form of pleasant feeling that there is. And so in the second group of steps of mindfulness of breathing, we 
get out from under its control. We become free of the influence of these very happy feelings. So please practice very diligently in order to experience this highest, most sublime form of feeling. And then practice in order to be free from its ability and power over your mind. If we can defeat the highest form of happiness, then we can defeat all the different kinds of feeling. So please apply yourself very strongly to the development of samadhi. Use anapanasati in order to develop this very deep samadhi or concentration in which the mind is pure, stable, and active in order to fully experience this most exalted of pleasant feelings which arises from the state of concentration. And then, once experiencing this feeling, defeat it, wrestle with it until it no longer has you in its grip, but you have it in its grip. Are you willing to put forth the time and effort? Are you willing to endure difficulties, some pains, some frustration? Will you put forth the necessary time and work in order to fully experience this highest of feelings? Are you willing to do, are you open to the possibility of developing samadhi? And then not settling just for those pleasant feelings that arise, but then facing these and defeating them so that the mind is raised and developed to an even higher level of freedom and understanding. We hope that you are willing to do this work, that you will be committed and apply yourself to this very important business of the second group of steps of Anapanasati. Now, you might think this sounds a bit funny or goofy to go through all this work to experience these very, to realize these very pleasant feelings, these highest kinds of feelings, and then immediately get rid of them, destroy them, kill them, bring them under control. It may, it may make you laugh to think about going through all this work, and then instead of enjoying the benefits of the labors or the fruit of all that labor, then to just destroy it all, destroy all those pleasant feelings by bringing them under control. It's necessary for you to understand the reason for this. In order for the mind to develop, we have to develop that concentration, and these feelings inevitably come from that. But if we just wallow in those very pleasant feelings, the mind stops developing, and we get stuck on that level. And so for this reason, once the mind has reached that level, we destroy, we kill, we get control over those happy feelings in order that the mind can develop further and experience something even better. 
We might not really call that a feeling, but we would call it emancipation or nibbana. So in order to truly emancipate the mind, we have to destroy those very blissful feelings that we have worked so hard for. But this is the way it has to go for the mind to become free. And next we come to the third group of steps, which have to do with the jitta, the mind-heart. The mind has been developing all along, and now, after becoming free of the Vedana, it needs to continue progressing. And the work to do in this third group is to examine the different states of mind, the different forms of consciousness, to examine these very, very carefully in order to find out, discover the state of mind that is most appropriate for the work that will follow after doing this group of steps. So in the third group, we examine a variety of states of mind and find that state of mind which is most appropriate for the work of Vipassana which follows. By discovering this state and then having the ability to keep the mind in this state of consciousness, meaning that the mind has control over these states, then the mind will be able to remain in the condition most suitable for the work that comes later. So this is what takes place in the third group of steps. Now once the mind is in that most appropriate state, we come to the fourth group of steps, which is called Dhamma-nupatana, or contemplation of Dhamma. The essence of this group of steps is that we examine the things to which we are enslaved until we see their truth. There are things which the mind is attached to, enslaved to, stuck in, and it is necessary to contemplate these various things until seeing their truth. Through perceiving the, the fundamental truth of these objects of attachment, the mind is able to let go of them. It is no longer attached and becomes free through non-attachment. To this, studying the truth, the natural truth of these objects of attachment is the essence of the fourth group. This has probably caused you to remember something that we've already mentioned a few times, which are the three characteristics of phenomena. All phenomena are impermanent, unsatisfactory, and not self, or the Pali words are anicca, sukha, anatta. These are the three fundamental characteristics of all phenomena, of all conditioned things. To fully realize these characteristics of any phenomena will automatically end attachment to that phenomena by realizing the three characteristics of impermanence and satisfactoriness and not self. We let go, the mind lets go and ceases to attach to that phenomena. 
and as the impermanence and satisfactoriness and selflessness of phenomena is realized more and more, the state is realized where there is no more attachment to anything. Then the mind is released. It has gone beyond all attachment. It is completely free and liberated. This is the meaning of the fourth group of steps, Dhammanu Patana Satipatthana, the contemplation of Dhamma, foundation of mindfulness. And so now we've explained the practice of Anapanasati Vipassana, or mindfulness of breathing insight meditation. Through this practice of noting various truths of nature while breathing in and out, the mind is freed from slavery or attachment to all things. Through this practice, which remember always occurs while breathing in and out, while being mindful of the in-breathing and out-breathing, the mind becomes freed and emancipated. This is the overview which explains the, the basic things which need to occur in the complete practice of mindfulness of breathing. As for further details, especially questions about how to practice the various steps, that will have to wait until a later time. If it is appropriate, there will be an opportunity, possibly, for questions and answers regarding such details. But for now, we'll have to end at this point. We hope that you have now a comprehensive overview and understanding of the four basic things that need to be studied and then the angles and approaches of how to study and use them. These are the body, the feelings, mind, and dhamma. This can all be done using anapanasati as one's form of insight meditation, as was taught by the Buddha. Thank you. <laughs>